0: So, let's pray, and then we're going to turn to this morning's teaching. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of just coming apart from everything else and spending these moments worshiping together and listening to your word. And Father, I pray you'd help us to hear what you want to say to each one of us this morning. Give us ears that can hear you and give us a heart that understands and a will to follow in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, last Sunday morning, Charlotte closed out our series, Finding Joy, and she did a fantastic job. If you missed that, you can always find it on our Genesis Church Facebook page, um, and you could go there, and it's still there. And I recommend you watch that if you didn't then. Um, The thought was closing out that series last week and then going into something different for the next couple of weeks. But I wasn't over easy with where my mind was going for preaching today. And so I decided I want to stick with finding joy. So if she came in as the closer, this is the post-game show. So, I want to talk about this morning, finding joy, and and I entitled today's teaching, Facing Life with a Smile. Facing life with a smile. I, uh, I get to talk to a lot of pastors, and I've interacted with a lot of church planters, and one of the things that church planters will virtually always say is, we want our church to be a New Testament church. And then I asked them, which one? Because there are a lot of churches in the New Testament, uh, and they were all very different. Uh, and without doubt, they all come back to the church in Jerusalem in, in Acts chapter 2, and that's what they're looking for their church to be like. I have never, ever had a church planter say, I want to build a New Testament church like the church in Corinth. Corinth was an interesting place. The city of Corinth was known for its abject immorality. In in fact, there was a a long Greek word, which uh, you probably don't know and I can't pronounce, but there was a long Greek word which actually literally translated means living like a Corinthian. And living like a Corinthian meant that you were an unbelievably immoral person. In fact, a couple of year, a couple of hundred years ago in the UK, I, I remember it well, uh, the word a Corinthian was used, and it was used about young men who were very loose sexually. And you say, he, he lives like a Corinthian. And, and Corinth was an unbelievably wicked place. In fact, in Athens, there was a, a temple to the Greek goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love in the most erotic sense, nothing else. And in the temple of Aphrodite, there were a thousand priestesses. And they served in the temple all day long, but at night they were prostitutes. And they went out and plied their trade in the streets of Athens. And there was a saying that was common in Athens. It was this, well, not everyone can afford to go to Corinth. Corinth was the worst when it came to immorality. So the Apostle Paul, in his church planting journeys, came to Corinth one time, and uh, he had a pretty tough time in the city of Corinth. But he established a church there. He moved on in his journeys. He left that with local leadership. And a number of years later, he writes two letters to the Corinthian churches. And from his first letter to the Corinthians, we find out that the church at this time had been facing some incredible problems. There was a lot of division within the church, people taking sides, there was... There were people who were suing one another from the same congregation, standing in court and fighting each other. There was immorality that was rife within the church. There was incest within the church. It's all here in 1 Corinthians. There were people who were going to church and getting drunk in church. And he said, "Uh, this is not good, people. And they had services that very often were just kind of out of control and crazy. And in 1 Corinthians, he addresses all of these particular issues. But you know, one of his opening comments to these believers is this. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 4. He says, every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. Every time I think of you... I thank God for you. I thank God for your lives every time I think of you. Bottom line, these were incredibly good Christians who were living in a very hostile environment. And some of them had made some serious mistakes, major ones. Sound familiar? Could it be the United States of America in 2020, where believers are living in a very hostile environment? And you know what? As believers, we haven't always got it right ourselves either. We've made mistakes, and some have made serious mistakes. But but here's, but here's the thing. Paul says to these believers at Corinth, you know what? I thank God for you. God doesn't write us off when we make mistakes. He knows we're doing our utmost to serve Him in a very hostile world. So, here's the thing. How do you stay positive? How do you find joy? How do you face this kind of life with a smile? I'm glad you asked. Here's the answer. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Here's what it says. Be on your guard stand firm in the faith be courageous be strong do everything in love there is there are the five things that he encourages these believers in in his closing comments he said you know, he knows how tough it is in corinth he knows some of them are messed up but he knows they're good believers and he says here's what you got to do be on your guard stand firm in the faith be courageous be strong do everything in love and those five things, if we will do those things, we'll keep a smile on your face. How do you face life with a smile? Number one, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Over in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, it says this, verse 8. It says, keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better Better than to catch you napping. Now, I want you just to look at that verse for a minute, and I want you to just to look through those words. and He doesn't say at any point, be scared, right? All he says is, stay alert, keep a cool head. Know that the devil is poised to pounce, and he'd like to catch you napping. The devil is out to destroy us. That's not something that should freak us out. It's not something that should keep us awake at night. It's not something that should make us scared, because the Bible makes this very clear blanket statement, greater is he, Christ, who is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible tells us that since God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. But we need to be smart. That's That's what Peter's saying there. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, be on your guard. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, he says, after all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We are not oblivious to his sly ways. There's the key phrase. We are not oblivious to his sly ways. We either get things right or we learn. And where we've had a learning experience in our lives, we should not be oblivious to the devil's sly ways. A number of years ago, we were, um, Jill and I went out one day, and uh, Jill got home a little bit before me, and she called me and said, did you leave the front door open? I said, no. She said, the front door's open. I said, that's strange. I said, don't go in the house. I asked her if there was any cars around the street. She said, no, nothing different. So I got home as quick as I could. And when I, went, when I got home, I went into the house, and, 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 and we'd been robbed. So someone had come. They would kicked open the front door, and they'd gone right in through the front door in broad daylight, and they went upstairs. Apparently, thieves always know the master bedroom's at the back. They got all of Jill's jewelry out of her jewelry box, and they took that. And uh, that was really, you know, that was really traumatic because there was some significant stuff there for her, passed on through family. And uh, what was traumatic for me was they took the TV and the VCR. (laughs) No, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. This was two days before. This was two days before Thanksgiving. I could not watch football on Thanksgiving. Can you get to see the severity of this now? So, so they'd kick the door in, and that was it. And, and, and you know, the, the, the first thing we did, we just had to, we just had, we'd bought the house the way it was. We moved in. We didn't kind of fully know how nasty some people are on Long Island. Um, so immediately that night, um, we, we had a deadbolt fitted as well to the front door. But you know what? Uh, the next day, I was on the, co- on the phone of a security company, and we had a, an alarm system installed right throughout the whole house because we got caught once, and now... We were going to be careful. And one of the ways we will be able to face life with a smile is being on our guard, recognizing, you know what, God is God's the creator, right? God is, God is in, in, incredibly creative. But we need to recognize that the devil is limited in the way he approaches us. He doesn't have really a great repertoire, and the chances are he'll come at us today in the same way that he came at us last time. And we need to be careful. We should not be oblivious. You know where you've stumbled before. You know what's caused you pain in the past. And what the Bible says is, be on your guard. What didn't work before will not work now either. Be on your guard. How do you face life with a smile? Well, that's number one. Number two, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. You you know the old saying, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything? And there was probably never a time when, when as followers of Christ, we need to be more aware of the need to stand firm in our faith. When Paul was writing to the Ephesians in the fourth chapter, he he talked about how Christ had given pastors and teachers to the church uh, to help to build people up. And he said this in verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. God wants us to be so aware of what he says that we're not thrown around all over the place by what everybody else says. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3, it says... You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. We need to stand firm. Stand firm for what we believe. I got a, I got a text... Uh, Last week, from one of the young ladies in our church, she had just, uh, she just started her college and she was she texted me, she said, I'm in a class on faith and theology. I wonder if you can help me because I want to impress the professor. And uh, if you can't help me, it's okay. <laughs> uh, and here's what she said. The professor had, said, had asked the class for their opinion on something that was in, in the news. And that was there was an Episcopal priest and this lady was thrown out of the Episcopal church because she said she was actually had become a Muslim. And the professor said, what do you think about that, throwing somebody out just because they don't believe the same? So, this young lady tossed the question over to me, and I said, well, here's the thing. Islam and Christianity are mutually exclusive. Islam says that Christianity is false, and anybody who's not a Muslim is an infidel. On the other hand, Christianity is exclusive too. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes under the Father but by me. So actually, the two can't peacefully coexist. You're either one or you're the other. And it would be a hopeless situation. And, and, and I sent that back to her, and she said, she said, thank you so much. That just confirms what I said. Uh, the professor's comment was, when we, most of the class had said that, she said, the professor said, well, you're just going by what you believe. That's a professor, folks, in our schools. Of course you go by what you believe. What the heck else are you going to go by? What the weather forecast is and how good you feel today? There's got to be some foundation of our faith that we stick to, that we adhere to, and we say, this is the bottom line. Be on your guard. Stand firm. Because when you compromise what you believe, you become uneasy and unhappy with yourself. And you can stand for what you believe without being obnoxious, without being spiteful. But the fact is this. If we don't stand for what we believe, then actually our faith becomes more and more diluted until it's no good to us either. Stand firm. And the third thing he says is be courageous. Courageous people are happy people. What does courageous look like? Now, some of you heard me tell this story a hundred times, but just look interested. Uh, so, so here's, here's me seven years ago, 2013. I'm, uh, Jill and I are in Scotland, and I'm out for a walk one morning. I see an old friend from when we used to live there. And uh, I, was, uh, I was doing some running, and uh, I don't mean sprinting. It's more of an old man's jog. But anyway, uh, I did that regularly. And I saw this guy and said, are there any races this weekend? And he said, yeah, there's the BRG, they call it Coastal Challenge. Starts in one town, goes through another, ends up in a small village 17 and a half miles away. And I said, that's a bit much. He said, no, no, they, they, they set you off in three groups. The runners go first. Sorry, the walkers go first. Then the runners go an hour or so later. And then the cyclists go an hour or so after that. So he said, you could walk it. And I thought, it's easy for you to say that. I knew that route. I'd driven that road probably hundreds and hundreds of times. It was, it, it was the most winding and hilly road. In fact, according to my Fitbit, it was the equivalent of that 70 and a half miles of going up 182 flights of stairs. So, so you go up like 10 flights of stairs every mile as well. But I signed up for it because I'm a lunatic. And I went in Friday early evening, and I got my race number and my shirt. And I went to bed early, and I couldn't sleep because I suddenly thought, what the heck have I done? <laughs> I can't do that. And, and you know what? I know a lot of these people They still live in the same area. Nothing moves up there. And it's going to be embarrassing to have to pull out. And I got to sleep, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, and I could hear the rain on the skylight in the bedroom, and I thought, okay, that's good. I can say bad weather. Yeah, yeah you know, I'm not going to do it. Today It's raining. No, no, that's a bit crazy. But I did go, and it was raining. And it was darn hard work. And the biggest of the hills, which was long and steep, I had to stop three times going up that hill to take a few minutes just to get my breath got to the top, and I kept going. I don't know, three, four miles more, whatever there was. And it was a case of, I'm telling myself, Roger, one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. I was like, struggling with it. And then there came the final descent into the little village in the bottom of some cliffs where it was ending. And I started to jog down that little bit, and I turned the corner and came right by the harbor where there was the finish line. You know what I did when I crossed the finish line? I cried. I can't believe I did that. Because all the years that I'd lived in that corner of Scotland, I would never, ever have been in shape to have done anything remotely like that. Fear would have kept me out of it. But courageous people end up facing life with a smile. I want to tell you the rest of that weekend, I could hardly walk. But I had the biggest smile on my face that you have ever, ever seen. L- let me just remind you this. Back in the book of Genesis, when God made heaven and earth, right? In Genesis 1 in verse 3, here's what it says. God spoke light, and light appeared. That was it, light. Verse 11, God spoke earth, green up, grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree, and there it was. Everything God did was miraculous and amazing and still is. I I don't know if there's anything more amazing than a newborn baby. About six or seven weeks ago now, I was presented with, I haven't met him yet, but... uh, uh, a, a, a brand-new um, great-grandchild. And uh, that brings the tally to six now. I'm way older than I look. Um, so so the, the sixth. And the day he was born, I got the photograph of the baby. And honestly, if you, if you can look at a newborn baby and not just be absolutely blown away at the miracle of God's creation, you need to check yourself and see if you've got a pulse. Unbelievable. God did that. Like no other, right? Every individual, every baby is totally different. God does spectacular stuff. So let me go on from there and say this. God doesn't make ordinary. God don't do ordinary. He only makes amazing. So I want you to just look at yourself today and just remind yourself that God made me amazing. Amazing. That's not bragging about yourself because a lot of you don't believe it. A lot of you believe it too well. But, but, but the fact is, you probably don't even believe it. But you need to line up with what God says about you. And, and God made you amazing. God made you to be amazing. Do not ever settle for average. Don't let your fear of failure hold you back in mediocrity. You know, most of the outstanding people in the Bible started by telling God they weren't up to the task. (laughs) I love that bit. I can't do this, God. I think you made a mistake. But they moved forward, God helping them. Be courageous. Jesus talked to his followers and another group of folks in Mark 10 and verse 27. Here's what it says. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, when you look at that last phrase, all things are possible with God. Now, that does not say all things are possible for God. It's like, yeah, great, God can. No, it says all things are possible with God. Now, I don't know if I'm stretching the interpretation of that or not. If I am, I'll do it because the point I'm going to make is a good one. And the fact is, With God, all things are possible to you. All things are possible with God. So long as God's with you, so long as God is helping you, so long as God is beside you, all things are possible. We're going to be uh, moving house next weekend. (laughs) It's going to be a wonderful weekend. We're going to move house on Saturday, and we're going to have our first in-person service here Sunday morning. And Sunday afternoon, I will collapse in some quiet spot, but uh, that's next weekend. So we've been packing up things and that, and, and, and we had a bed in one of our spare bedrooms that uh, we, we uh, were giving to someone because we didn't need it anymore. And when they came to get it, they, they took the, you know they took everything off, and underneath the bed, all still wrapped and, and, and brand new, was one of those things you can roll up your back to give yourself a little bit of a, or somebody else does a little massage thing for you. You know, the kind of useless thing you give people for Christmas when you have no idea what to give them, you know. And obviously, at some point, we had some point, God knows, we've been in the house 28 years. You know, may, maybe in 1992, we didn't know what to get somebody for Christmas and said, you know what, this will do. And we bought one of those. And I don't know how it got under the bed. Jill used to do the wrapping of gifts in that room, but it ended up under the bed. And, and you know, all these years later, that Christmas was gone and, You know, Lord knows, somewhere, somebody we know has got a knotted up back because they couldn't have their massage little thingy. I don't want to end life with something left behind, hidden under the bed that God wanted me to really achieve or do. I want to live this life 100%, and I want you to do it too. But you know what that means? You can't live crippled by fear. You've got to take God-helped risks. Be courageous. Be courageous. Courageous people live life with a smile because they say, wow, that was fantastic. They have exciting lives. Look what happened. I did do that. God helped me. It worked. Be courageous. Then the fourth thing he says here is be strong. Be strong. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. One of the things we've all got to learn is when we come to the end of ourselves, we, we come to the beginning of drawing on the strength of God. There's so many people who said, I've, I, I've just got no strength. I'm not strong. I, and you know what? That's not the end of everything. It's just the end of you. And if that's where you are this Sunday morning, my encouragement to you today is this. It's it's in Psalm 27 and verse 14. It says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When you draw on God's strength, you can face life with a smile. You tell I'm rushing now because five-point sermons aren't my strong point. You uh, never fit it all in. Number five, do everything in love. Do everything in love. You, you know, those first four things almost sound like military commands. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And then we get Do everything in love. If ever there was a time for the church to shine its brightest, it's now. It's now. We live in a hostile, confused, fearful, angry world, divided world. My encouragement to every one of you today is this do everything. In love. First John 3 and verse 11 says this. This is the message you heard from the beginning. Hey, hey, God's message hasn't changed. John's saying we heard this right from the start. John was right there with Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. He said this, is, this was the message from the beginning. We don't have another one. There's not a new one. We don't need one. Here's the message. We should love one another. We should love one another. People who love other people face life with a smile. In 1 John 3, then in verse 14, three verses later, he says this. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. The real sign of a believer is that that is a loving person. Loving person. In Galatians 5 and verse 19, Paul, Paul talks about there the, the acts of the flesh, like our, our, our own selfish, fallen nature. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Then look at this next segment. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Those are not godly things. They come from the old fallen nature. And if whatever we do, if we do it out of hatred, if we do things that cause discord, if we do things... out of selfish ambition, then we're not acting in love. And we've got to remember, in James 1 and verse 20, it says this, it says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If you are angry when you're doing something, it's not going to be a good or a godly thing. And you might think you're standing up for your beliefs, and you're standing up for your principles, and you're defending God like he needs you to defend him with great respect. Um, But if you're doing that in anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I've been communicating with pastors all over the country uh, when it comes to uh, restarting in-person services. You know, I've heard for some of them, restarting services has been a cause of division and anger in their churches. Now, here's the deal. I know know that in our church, we've probably got people who think we should have restarted in-person services weeks ago. And then we've got people who don't think we should be restarting in-person services yet. We've got people who think that from the moment you get up in the morning till you go to bed at night, you should wear a mask. And we've got others who think that wearing masks is some plot to keep us down by the government. And we've got some people who are going to be happy about being here Despite the fact that we're requiring, or because of the fact we're requiring everybody to wear a mask, and there's probably going to be some people who say, I don't know if I'm going to go if I've got to wear a mask. And you know what the bottom line is? We need to recognize, while we might have 10,000 different opinions, (laughs) let me say this. Ultimately, there's one person who calls the shots and carries the responsibility for around 700 people in this church. And however much you might disagree with the way we're handling this, and some of you will, I'm going to tell you this. You don't have to make the call. You don't have to make the choice that literally could be life or death for some people. So we've taken the best decisions we know how to make. And and by the way, if if you're nervous or if you don't like wearing a mask, think of other people. Think of the fact that if you're over 65 with a pre-existing condition, you shouldn't be here. CDC says, so follow through with that and just bear in mind that I am 70 years old with congestive heart failure. But I'm going to be here, not because I'm the pastor and this is my church, but because this is my family, and I'm the father figure. And if you don't wear a mask for your own sake, do me a favor, wear one for me. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Do everything in love. Doing everything in love enables you to face life with a smile. I meet so many knotted up, like angry people nowadays. It's like, it's horrific. And I'm not talking about somebody I met in the street who's on his way home from a beer fest. I'm talking about Christian people. It's like, stop it, people. Stop it. God wants you to be able to face life with a smile. And the only way you're going to be able to face life with a smile is if you do everything in love. So five things, right? Five things. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. That's a tall order, but that, folks, will help you to face life in this wicked world with a smile. I want to pray for you as I close. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for everyone who's watching now from wherever they may be just at this moment. And God, I pray that you will help us, that we really will be beacons of hope, just shedders of light in the darkness of this present world. And God, I pray you'd help us to Follow through on these things. Help us to be on our guard against the devil's tricks. Help us to stand firm in the faith, whatever others say. Help us to be courageous and reach our potential. Help us to be strong, drawing from you. And God, covering all of this, please help us today and each day to do everything in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.